Father, we uh, just want to continue uh, with a posture of worship, uh, being reminded of how great and glorious and awesome you are, being reminded of the the storyline throughout all of Scripture, the narrative that goes throughout all Scripture, God, that, um, that you created us for a relationship with yourself. What a, what a uh, mind-boggling, lofty thought that is, that you who spoke the universe into existence created us in your likeness, in your image, so that we could have a relationship with you. God, I thank you that, um, that we see through the promises of Scripture that there's nothing that can thwart your plans, uh, nothing that, that you are not a promise breaker, and that every promise um, has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus, and we praise you for that. So God, I'm a beggar in need of, um, of your mercy this morning. I pray, God, that you would help give me clarity to proclaim your word in a way that would bring you honor and glory and would bring edification uh, to those whom you are in fellowship with this morning. We love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And God's people said, amen. Well, good morning. We are, as uh, as Elaine read, we're in uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 4, as we uh, get into the text of this book. And in your bulletins, I titled it The Fullness of Joy. And not that it matters, but I changed it to joyful fellowship, joy hyphen full fellowship, because that's what um, that's what God wants for us. Actually, is joyful fellowship. I would encourage you, if you were not here last week, to to listen to the overview um, and the introduction that we missed. Um, it'll be helpful in understanding the heart of this book, why John wrote it, and who he wrote it to. A question to ponder as we go through the passage today is, what is the heart of Christianity? What is the heart of Christianity? And this letter and this passage, as we go through this passage today and this letter in the coming weeks, will speak to you um, because God wrote it and you have God's spirit in you. And it will speak to you whether you are an assured believer Whether you are a doubting believer, I pray that you would hear it if you're a conscious unbeliever, and I pray that you would hear it if you are a false believer. Have you ever noticed how kids play out their imaginations by playing dress-up? I got to experience that this weekend with our grandkids, where I saw one of them in a uh, two of them, actually, in the same Hulk outfit at different times. Um, one of them was a uh, stormtrooper with mask and everything. And then I had a granddaughter who was dressed up immediately after her soccer game. She got out of the soccer guard because she doesn't really want to be known as a soccer player. And she dressed up as Princess Leia. And there's, um, there's something about um, kids dressing up where, um, like, uh, Lydia, for example, who dressed up as Princess Leia, there's just something safe to her about being inside that costume and pretending that she is a world conqueror, that she is a superhero at some level. I'm happiest, I'm most joyful when I'm in sync with my key relationships. When I'm, um, when I'm in harmony, in fellowship with Nancy, with my children, with my grandkids, with people that I work with, with my neighbors. 
I mean, just think about it. Think of the times when you have really lacked joy or it's been sucked right out of you. It's because there's some type of conflict with people that you're closest with. But I'm most happy when I'm um, in sync with and secure in those relationships where I can be me, where I can be accepted for who I am, warts and all. In a place where, um, where there's um, honesty, and when I know that when people bring something to my attention, like a blind spot in my life, I know that they, there's freedom in bringing it, and there's freedom in accepting it because I know that they're for me. Do you have confidence in God's love for you? Do you have confidence in it? Do you have confidence in God's plan for your life? And how might you measure that? This side of faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, how do you think God relates to you when you blow it? When things around you are unraveling, how do you picture the posture of your Heavenly Father? We've titled this sermon series, Blessed Assurance, because John wants his readers, first century readers, and you and I today, to have blessed assurance or confidence that we belong to the Lord. That we are Christians and we're headed for a sure destination. And I talked about this last week, that joyful confidence or, or blessed assurance that you're headed safely in the right direction is dependent upon three truths. One is, if you remember my um, pictures of when I started off on the wrong trailhead, um, the first, um, the, the first um, truth is that you have to have the correct starting point. You can have no assurance if you, um, if you have a wrong understanding of who God is and what he did and what his promises are, what his characteristics and attributes are. The second truth that you need to know in order to have this joyful confidence is that you need to have full confidence that there's a reliable source that's going to take you all the way through. And then the third truth is that you don't change the first two truths along the way just because the culture and the landscape seems to change. So today, in the first four verses of this book, we're going to see the arc of the biblical narrative. Um, we're going to see the melodic theme that runs all the way through God's Word in four verses from Genesis through Revelation. And we're going to see that this melodic theme or this arc of the, of the biblical narrative is simply and profoundly that the creator of the universe created us for relationship with himself. We're not going to talk, and this is going to frustrate some of you because it usually frustrates me. We're not going to get super practical today, but I can tell you that this is a very practical book, and we're going to get into the practicalities of how to live out um, and live in fellowship with the triune God. But today, we're going to focus on the reality that if you know Jesus Christ, you are already in fellowship with the triune God. Whether you feel like it or not, that it is a spiritual reality that you are in fellowship with the triune God. 
And understanding this reality um, will, uh, will bring increasing confidence to live out your relationship with the Lord in submission to his good and perfect will, even if it doesn't feel like a good and perfect will. And this confidence in God's good and perfect will produces increasing joy in the life of the believer. We've talked about, um, I talked, I, I greeted the ladies at Heart to Heart um, on Thursday and just prayed for them. And talk about a scary place to be. I think that's scary. It's scary to be in there than it is to go like to prison or something like that. But because that's like, not because the ladies are scary, but it's like, what do I, what do I even say to what these, these dear women who are studying the word and, are different gender than I and think different than I look different than I am. Anyway, um, it's always important, I remind the ladies, it's always important to consider what's called the indicatives of Scripture before you go headlong into the imperatives of Scripture. And what the indicatives are is they are truths of who God is, what his attributes are, um, what his characteristics are, what his promises are. You see, we need to be um, sure at the starting point, at the, when, the, when the gun starting gun goes off, we need to be sure of the indicatives before we jump into the imperatives, the so what, now what, lest we start following in a joyless wrong direction. So let's just start at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. One of John's best descriptors or favorite descriptors of who Jesus is, is the word. He calls him here the word of life. John began his gospel with this picture in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John wrote that Jesus, the Word of life, was from the beginning, here in 1 John. Jesus' existence did not begin when he was born in Bethlehem. He also was not a created being like angels before the creation of the heavens and the earth. Before history began, Jesus was there. John's beginning, that which was from the beginning, goes all the way back to eternity past. That which was from the beginning. Verse 2, the life was made manifest or appeared or was revealed and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you, church, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, the word of life. He who spoke the universe into existence was made manifest or revealed. John again said in the gospel in chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, was God incarnate. He was Emmanuel, God with us. John testifies here that he saw Jesus, that he looked upon Jesus, that he touched him. And the reason that he reminds us of this is because we need that reminder. This isn't a tall tale or a vision or hearsay. John, along with the other apostles and hundreds of other disciples, um, encountered Jesus, God in the body, the living God. The eternal life who was with the Father in all of his glory was made manifest to John and the others in that first century. 
Oh, great. Thanks for that reminder. So what? Why is John writing this? So that we would know the reality of Christian fellowship. We know the reality of Christian fellowship. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John proclaims to the church what he has seen, what he has heard, what he has touched, the word of life, the eternal one, so that, so that you may be forgiven, so that death would be conquered? So that we would go to heaven? Those are all benefits. Those are all benefits uh, to the proclamation of the gospel, and they're true. Maybe some might think that he proclaimed it so that um, they would have less pain and suffering, or maybe have a better marriage, or be better parents. The reason that the good news is proclaimed, the reason that Jesus came to fulfill the prophecies in the Old Testament is so that we, that you and I, can have fellowship with those who are in fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And what is implied here is that there is no true fellowship with other Christians if we're not in fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And once again, we're not talking about action here, how to have fellowship with the Father. We're talking about a reality that already possesses us. And I want to just tell you this. There are, there are books, uh, volumes written on what's called the union with Christ. And uh, as you might have saw, I'm reading a book on the union of Christ by um, Rankin Wilborn. We're doing it for Pastors Leadership Institute. And I'm, I'm reading this book. It has nothing to do with 1 John but by God's grace, it's really informing my thinking. So there are volumes um, in talking about our union with Christ, our fellowship or communion with Christ. It is actually a spiritual reality that you don't have to work out. And what I mean by that, you don't have to work it out in order to be in fellowship with the Father. We need to work out our fellowship. We're going to talk about that next week in order to, um, to uh, worship and honor and glorify the Father. Let me just give you an example. This is a hard concept to, to grab a hold of, actually. But I think it has everything to do with us living joyful, obedient lives, is understanding our union, our fellowship, our communion with the Lord. There's a certain fellowship that Nancy and I have with our children and grandchildren. That can't be, it can't be manufactured, it can't be bought, it can't be taught. And it has everything to do with our DNA. That, that they, are, they are from us. Um, they are they are from us. I mean that's that's our um, it's it's a it's a fellowship, um, and, and I know it breaks down with things like adoptions and, and that are that are children that are part of that family. Um, but I got to tell you that there's this the the only example that really works is uh, biological children because because if you know Jesus Christ, um, you are biological children. You have um, His blood coursing through your veins. There's a sense that my children are in me and I am in them. Um, and I probably need to ask for forgiveness for that later because I'm sorry that you get any of me in you. 
Um, I don't try to be related to them, and they don't try to take on my DNA. They have it as a result of being born of me and my wife, Nancy. And I want to take you to Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, because this is, this is probably the best place in Scripture to get um, a handle and start understanding um, fellowship, generally speaking. And this was after, um, after Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, and they started preaching with boldness, and 3,000 people uh, came to faith. 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, literally to the apostles' doctrine or theology, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they, excuse me, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to go back to verse 46, and I want to read it in the NASB, because this is a beautiful picture of Fellowship, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. One mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. One mind. They continued with one mind. This isn't something that they had to learn. Um, you've heard me talk about this word before. It's from the Greek word humathamadon. Humathamadon. I just love saying that. Humathamadon. Humathamadon. Same mind, one mind. It's a unique Greek word. This is what the um, this is how um, the ESV describes it. It's a unique Greek word that helps us understand the uniqueness of the Christian fellowship. Humathamadon is a compound of two words, which mean to rush along and in unison. The image it says is almost musical. It's a number of notes that are sounded, which while different, they harmonize in pitch and tone. As the instruments of an orchestra under the direction of a concertmaster, so the Holy Spirit together blends together the lives of members of Christ's church. <coughs> that, that if you are in Christ and Christ is in with, with you, you have his mind. You have his heart. The Bible refers to fellowship with other believers in several different ways that will help us understand this concept of fellowship. Family. The body, living stones. But none of these expressions of fellowship are, um, are valid on their own. We're a family in this picture with a father. We're a body with a head. We're living stones built on the great cornerstone. You see, we can't have Christian <coughs> fellowship without having fellowship with the father. So John further emphasizes this point in verse 3. He says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, he says, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. There is no fellowship between Christians until there's fellowship with the Father and the Son. Have you ever met with other professing Christians? You go, man, it just doesn't feel like we have anything in common. I mean, we never talk about the Lord. We never talk about his word. It should not be that way. That should be the primary thing we have in common. As Pat read um, all those uh, beautiful testimonies of community groups. Uh, the reason that those are all testimonies 
It's because what unites those brothers and sisters in community groups is, um, is the bond of Christ. It's in fellowship that we partake in a common life and participate in common activities. Fellowship or communion, if you will, with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, is the fountainhead of the gospel. It's the reality from which all blessings flow. And I want to just tell you again that if you, there's a part of you going, man, I'm like this fellowship thing and this union with Christ thing and this communion thing, um, like I'm not, I'm not getting it. Um, well, join the club. Uh, but this is a uh, spiritual reality that there's a money-back guarantee that if, that if you dig into this and understand this, that your life may not get better, but you're going to have this crazy, joyful desire to follow and worship the Lord, whatever he does and wherever he takes you. So this fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, is the fountainhead of the gospel. It's the reality from where all blessings flow. Having fellowship with God is not a theological exercise. It's a spiritual reality. We're made for fellowship. God made mankind in his image after his likeness. And after he created the very first human beings in his image and after his likeness, he was physically with them walking in the garden in the cool of day. He was having fellowship with them. There was no sin in the garden. There was no pain. There was no death. It was creator and creation enjoying and finding joy in one another. And that's when the wheels fell off, right? We know the story. That's when fellowship was broken. It became unraveled. It's when Adam and Eve believed Satan's lies rather than believing their, their, their creator. And now instead of peace with God, they were afraid of God. And even though everything to them must have felt like it was unraveling, and it was, because fellowship with their creator was broken, God's plan to have fellowship with his creation was not thwarted. It was not broken. Nothing can break God's plans. So even though everything seemed to be unraveling and fellowship with the Creator was broken, God's plan to have fellowship with His prized creation, you and I, was not unraveling. Yes, fellowship has been broken. But His sovereign plan from eternity past to bring His chosen ones into a right relationship with Himself can and will never fail. And I was just thinking about this too, that... Um, probably explain some of the things in my own marriage, but that, that fellowship between the man and the woman was broken at that time as well. Think about it. I mean, think about it. Maybe you've got a marriage where you never, like, argue or never fight. But right, right from the beginning, when they, when they sinned and they hid from God because they were afraid of God, and then God, um, and then they said, hey, we're over here naked, and God said, um, why did you do this? And the man said, well, the woman made me do it. And the woman said, well, Satan made me do it. They're already um, at odds with one another. At that moment, fellowship was broken because God in his holy perfection, God who is light can have nothing to do with sinful humanity. The God who is light can have nothing to do with darkness. Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. 
They were banished from God's presence. And at that very moment, as he told them that there would be pain in childbirth, that there would be, uh, there would be um, toil in their work, hard toil, weeds, that they would encounter uh, suffering and pain and finally death. At that same moment, he made them a promise. It's called a covenant. It's known as the Edenic Covenant. Where he said, um, you who broke um, the fellowship, um, through you will come a seed. And that seed will crush the serpent's head. And it's through that seed that you will be brought back into a right relationship with me. And I want you to read uh, with me Romans 8. We read this last week, but I saw it in a whole new light as we looked at it at a community group on, on uh, Wednesday night. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Foreknew means before the beginning of time. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called or he drew to himself. And those whom he called, he also justified. He declared them innocent and holy because of the shed blood of Jesus. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That is a picture of fellowship with the Father. That is his promise to you and I uh, by faith. And then he goes on in verse 35. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? If God chose us and predestined us and called us and justified us and glorified us, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is God a promise breaker? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, he says in verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Everything that Jesus has is yours. You are in Christ, and he is in you. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Peter 1, 3-4, Peter says that we are partakers of the divine nature. Now there are religions that have messed that up and said that we're little gods. We're not. But we're partakers of the divine nature. Everything that is Jesus, everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Ephesians 1, 3, and then 11 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, <clears throat> excuse me, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Augustine said this. Hopefully it's on the screen because it's kind of a uh, tongue twister. For surely, if the Son of God by nature became the Son of Man by mercy, the, the, uh, the God from the beginning, from eternity past, would become incarnate. For surely if the Son of God by nature became the Son of Man by mercy for the sake of the sons of men, how much easier is it to believe that the sons of men by nature, you and I, can become the sons of God by grace and dwell in God? For it is in him alone and thanks to him alone that we can be happy by sharing in his impartiality. It was to persuade us of this that the Son of God came to share in our mortality. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, For our sake he made him to know, who knew no sin to become what? our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, let me say this. It's going to sound heretical. Dive in. The gospel is not good news because we're forgiven. It's good news primarily primarily for what it brings us into, fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the arc or the melodic theme that runs through the entire, entire biblical narrative. Um, The theologian Robert Raymond said this, Our eternal fellowship with Christ is the fountainhead from which flows the Christian's every spiritual blessing. Repentance, faith, pardon, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, and glorification. The theologian John Owen, on his gravestone, the only words written on it are communion with God. Another way to say it is fellowship with God. And John Owen, who wrote Communion with God on his gravestone, had a burden to help people understand what it means to be a Christian. And he said this, Through the work of the Spirit, the Heavenly Father gives you to Jesus and gives Jesus to you. You have him. All you will ever need is given to you in him. For the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Communion or fellowship does not begin when we die. It's a reality now. Eternal life begins when Christ joins his life to yours. And we can begin to experience joy, the joy of heaven in our lives here and now. Fellowship with God is a narrative of all the scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21. And because of Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, we, by faith, are united in fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, right now, on this earth, in this brokenness, in this world that Satan um, is still deceiving and roaming around like a roaring lion. Right now, we can experience a taste of heaven on earth while we await the day of our homecoming with God incarnate once again. Verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy might be complete. That's why he's writing it. 
That's why he wants you to know that fellowship with God, that you are in Christ and he is in you right now, is a spiritual reality so that you would have complete joy. I don't know about you, but I need these reminders daily. I need these reminders daily because I start listening at times to the lies of the enemy. I start believing um, the lies of who the enemy says I am rather than the truth of who God says that I am. When things don't go my way, I start believing that God is not a promise keeper and that he doesn't care for what I want. We need these reminders daily. You are united to Christ. You already possess every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. All that is his is yours because he took upon himself all the sin that was yours. Now, I trust as we move through this book, we're going to dig in deeper. Not, not, I don't trust. I've seen it, that this book is going to now um, talk to us like, okay, here's the reality that you are in Christ and he is in you, that you already have a spiritual standing of being in fellowship with him. Now, how do we live that out? How do we live that reality out? We need reminders of this mind-blowing spiritual truth. I'll finish up with this. Blaise Pascal was a 7th century, 17th century genius mathematician. He needed to be reminded of his fellowship with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. When Pascal was 31 years old, something life-altering happened to him. And we know this because eight years later, when he died an untimely death, a worn parchment paper was found sewn in his coat. And written in it was the following. And again, I hope this is on the screen because there's a lot of words here. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, the 23rd of November. From about half past 10 in the evening until about half past midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Not of philosophers and scholars. Certainty, certainty, heartfelt joy and peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. The world forgotten and everything except God. Joy, 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 tears of joy. The fountain of living waters. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, let me never be cut off from him. Pascal kept that by his heart for eight years, moving it from coat to coat so that literally it was next to his heart wherever he went. Pascal, like you and I, need the reminder that he was secure in his fellowship with the Father in Jesus Christ. Just like there was nothing that we did to be saved, there's nothing that you can do or anybody else can do from you to separate you from the love of God. If you have been saved by faith, and if you've been saved by faith, he is in you and you are in him. David prayed in Psalm 51 after he was caught in the sin of Bathsheba and he was repenting, I could just imagine the lies of the enemy and his sin. The lies of the enemy that he is, that God could never love him, God could never restore him. There was a sense of shame. 
And David prayed. He prayed that the Lord would restore the joy of his salvation. God, restore the joy. I'm already saved. Remind me of your salvation again. Remind me of what you think of me again. Remind me of your forgiveness. Remind me that I'm in you and you're in me. Lord, restore the joy of your salvation. Fellowship is the root. And joy is the fruit. Fellowship is the root. And if you're in fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, that, run, that root runs deep. It can never be pulled up. That produces joy. We need to fight for it, brothers and sisters. We need to fight to believe the truth of God's promises and His character and His attributes. And I've got this final picture and then I'm going to pray as we do this together. We do this together. This is what we do in community groups. This is what we do on Sunday morning is we remind one another of who God is and who we are in God, in Christ. And the picture that I have is that when Adam and Eve, my wife gave this to me this morning actually, so I'll give her the credit, that came from VBS like 30 years ago, is that, um, that in the garden, um, Adam and Eve were walking arm in arm with the Creator. And their sin... Um, broke that bond so that they were now walking um, maybe at a distance from each other, but God had his back turned, toward, turned to them. But now by faith in Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ, that we are in fellowship with God. We are in fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And when you sin, and you will, and when things don't go your way, and they will, and you're walking arm in arm with the um, with your Creator, who will never let you go. Um, lift your head up and know that He has forgiven the shame and the guilt um, and the penalty of your sin, and that He will never let you go because He is in you, and you are in Him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for um, I thank you for what you're. Uh, doing in my own heart. God, I thank you for the beautiful reminder that I'm already in fellowship with you. And that you chose me. I didn't choose, choose you. And because you chose me from the beginning of time and you called me to yourself, you drew me, you justified me. And there's a sense that I'm already glorified. God, I pray that, uh, that, that, that that root of fellowship, that root of union, God, I pray that it would produce for your glory and for the good of your church uh, the fruit of joy. And so, God, we just uh, thank you that you promised to never let us go. Uh, we thank you, God, that, um, that these gospel truths, God, I pray that it would, um, would turn back to praise and worship. And, um, Lord, that's not the end, that we just... Um, um, Believe this truth. God, we want to respond with obedience and worship and loving you and loving our neighbor uh, so that you would uh, receive all the glory and the honor and the praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and close our service together.